Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As I begin my sermon today, I, ext- I begin with an extended quote from my favorite author, other than God, of course, uh, Pastor John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. In certain stores, you will find a section of merchandise uh, that is available at greatly reduced prices. Perhaps you know of this place. The tip-off is that particular tag that you see on all items in that area. Each tag carries the same words, as is. Do you know this place? It's a euphemistic way of saying these are damaged goods. Sometimes they're called slightly irregular. The stores are issuing you a fair warning with this tag. This is the department of something has gone wrong. You are going to find a flaw here. A stain that won't come out. A zipper that won't zip. A button that won't but... Well, you get it. These items are not normal. We're not going to tell you what that flaw is. How many of you love scavenger hunts and mysteries? Because that's what this department is too. We're not going to tell you what the flaw is. But when you look for the flaw, you will find one. And you will find one. Don't come whining and sniveling to us, the department store says. Because there is a fundamental rule when you're dealing with merchandise in this corner of the store. No returns, no refunds, no exchanges, no exceptions. If you're looking for perfection, you have walked down the wrong aisle. Fair warning, if you want this item, there's only one way to obtain it. As is. When you deal with human beings, you also deal in the as-is corner of the universe. Think for a moment of someone in your life. Maybe the person you know best. Maybe that person you love most. Isn't that person slightly irregular? Think about it. That person comes with that little tag, don't they? There's a flaw here. A streak of deception, a cruel tongue, a passive spirit. Maybe they put the toilet paper under when everyone knows you should put it over. Maybe they have an out-of-control temper. We're not going to tell you where it is, but it is there. So when you find it, and you will find it, don't be surprised. If you want to enter into a relationship with this model, there's only one way, as is. If you're looking for perfection, you've rocked down the wrong aisle. We enter into relationships with the illusion that people are normal. And when we do that, we resist the truth that they are not. Of course, the most painful part of realizing all of this is the fact that we too belong in the as-is department as well. Throughout human history, we have resisted owning up to that little tag. We try to separate the world into normal, healthy people like us and difficult people like them. We all want to look normal. Not too normal because we want to shine a little bit, but we want to look normal enough. We want to look normal and to think of ourselves as normal, but as the writers of Scripture insist that none of us are totally normal, at least not in the way that God defines it. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This 
explains a very important aspect in the opening pages of Scripture. One of the most ironic remarks about the Bible that I, as a pastor, hear from time to time is that the book is about, you know, pious stained glass figures who do not reflect the real world. I always know that that means they have not read the Bible. Because have you ever noticed how many messed up families there are in Genesis alone? I mean, seriously, do not go, do not watch a movie, do not watch soap operas, read your Bible and you got it all. For those of you who haven't been to Sunday school in a while, let's recap, shall we? A quick summary. Cain is jealous of Abel, so what does he do? Kills him, right? Noah, who, by the way, has a movie coming out here soon. He's the most righteous man of his generation, and what does he do? He gets drunk and curses his grandson. Sorry, spoiler alert, okay? Abraham plays favorites with his son Isaac and Ishmael, right? They're estranged. Isaac plays favorites between his sons, Jacob and Esau. They're bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob plays favorites between Joseph and his 11 other sons. Those brothers want to kill Joseph and sell him off into slavery. Their marriages are a disaster. Abraham has sex with his wife's servant and sends her off with that child into the wilderness at his wife's request. Isaac and Rebekah fight over which boy gets a blessing. Jacob marries two wives and ends up with both of their maids as his concubines, and they're into some kind of fertility contest. <laughs> Guys, this isn't Dallas. This isn't on TNT. This is in the Bible. They know drama. We know drama. Read your Bible. These people, meet, these people are not the Waltons, okay? You're not going to see them on Leave it to Beaver, okay? They need Dr. Phil. They need Dr. Laura, Dr. Ruth, Dr. Spock. They need Dr. Seuss. They need somebody. Anybody feeling better about your own family right now? By the way, again, this is just the book of Genesis. Imagine if you read, wait, is there any confirmation students in here? How many books are in the Bible? I'm sorry, how many? That's right, 66. So this is one book. Imagine if you read the whole thing. Why does the writer of Genesis want to include all this stuff? How many of you write down your, all the bad stuff of your family history? Why does the writer of Genesis want to write all this down for us? There is a very important reason. Scripture is trying to tell us a very deep theological truth. Everybody's weird. And it's good for us to know this as we look at ourselves, our co-workers, our family members, even people in the pews with us, even our neighbors. It's good for us to know this and to hear this story about Jesus and the woman at the well in our gospel text for today. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he stops in a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given uh, to his son Joseph. And disciples go off and they try to find some food. Jesus is in the heat of the noonday sun, and he's all alone. When suddenly this woman comes up to him, and she's there to draw water. Now, this woman has what I call, and what John Ortberg calls, the porcupine's dilemma. How do you get close to someone without hurting them, or them hurting you? She's stuck in this porcupine's dilemma. And she's there, and she comes in the noonday sun. Now remember, like what I told with the kids in the kids' sermon, 
you had to go and carry these jars of water back and forth. It was not fun to do in the noonday sun, so they would come in the early morning. Most women would come in the early morning, or they would come later on in the afternoon. Nobody in their right mind would go in the hottest day, the peak heat. But you see, she was an outsider. She wasn't normal. And so she went at a time where she wouldn't be ridiculed or looked at that way. She's not like who we heard about last week with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, remember, he was a Pharisee. He's, he's a guy who's always in the loop. He's in the know. People are accustomed to him. They know his name. He represents the community's best judgment. And he comes to Jesus, not in the middle of the day, but at night in the shadows, sneaking around. But this unnamed woman is only identified by the markers of her exclusion. A Samaritan woman who lives out her daily life in the shadows of her own marginality. She may live in those shadows, but she speaks with Jesus under the sweltering noonday sun. And so Jesus requests of her to give him a drink. And a conversation ensues in which Jesus offers this woman living water. He can see that her soul is dry and she is in need of the fountain of the water, living water. So her reaction was a lot like Nicodemus's, very literalistic. And she kind of says with, I can imagine, a, a kind of a cynical tone to her voice, well, sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty and have to keep coming to this well to draw water. She doesn't hear Jesus, not really, until he says to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And her response, you can almost hear the thud of it. It's quiet, it's defeated, maybe a little ashamed. And now she starts to look at Jesus and studies him and she starts to, to kind of believe what he's saying. And this is important for us to hear. This is an important part of the story. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with someone and you're just nodding your head along, not listening to a word they're saying? Maybe you're doing it right now. <laughs> Preach, preacher. All right, great. Up until this point in this conversation, this woman is so used to being discounted by men, especially Jewish men. She's so used to being discounted. How many of you have ever discounted what someone said simply because of not of the merits of what they said, but simply because that person was saying it? That's this woman. That is this woman. She has been discounted so much that she doesn't even pay attention to the people she's talking to anymore. But it isn't until Jesus asks her a deep penetrating personal truth that she perks up and she starts to listen which points us today to a certainty only in truth can true relationship happen only in truth can true relationship happen there is a reason we start our services with confession and forgiveness we have to start at a place of truth we are all great sinners in need of a great savior and we have one and his name is Jesus Christ all of us have been an insider, insider or an outsider haven't we but this lesson today 
is about that. And at the same time, it's more than that. It's about the simple truth. Yes, please be nice to your neighbor. Please be nice to those who are different than you. That is very good and very important. But this text calls us to dig a little deeper too. To dig into the reality that Jesus doesn't just stand with the other. Jesus stands with your other too. People you consider as others. People who you consider, yes, us and them. Who is your other? Who is your those people? Is it liberals? Conservatives? Coke drinkers? Pepsi loyalists? Mac or iPhone people? IBM or Android? What about the poor? What about the rich? What about those who are on welfare? What about rock and rollers? Or country music lovers? Or people who listen to rap? Or people with tattoos? Or people who just simply don't share your opinions? Who is your them? Because here's the reality of the situation, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like it or not, Jesus is on your side of that line, and Jesus is on their side of that line. Jesus is with them, too. Jesus died and rose again for you and for them, too. We would be good and well to find out who our Samaritans are in this life. And we should be surprised that when we look at them, we will also see Christ there with them. Because here's the good news. By God's grace, through faith in Christ, it's not just us and it's not just them. It is we who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And we are saved from sin, death, and the power of the devil. We, every person. And God gives us the power to live as people who see other people as children of God too, or see people who need God's grace, and we are called to share that love, especially when we see people who have absolutely no love in their lives. And when we need strength ourselves in order to, to share that love, to share this good news, we come to the table where we ourselves are forgiven. We go to the font, the well of living water that we were baptized in. And we come back to the truth that we are all great sinners in need of a great Savior. And that Christ died and rose again for us and for our salvation. And Christ rose again for them and for their salvation too. This is good news. Not just for normal people like you and me. Because remember, everybody's normal. Until you get to know him. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.